Good morning, Chapel family. And I have a question. I wonder, do you like stories? Oh, good, because I've got a story for you this morning. Uh, Jesus loves stories, and he told stories often in his teaching. So this morning, just being doing something a little different, I'm going to tell you a story, come back and give you a, a brief lesson from the story. This story, as I tell you, I want you to know it's the world's greatest love story. So listen up, especially ladies, you like love stories, but guys, you'll like this one too. It's almost an unbelievable story, but it's absolutely true. I've changed the names, I've filled in a few details, but this story is real life. The hero of the story is a young preacher, and of course I'd pick a preacher for the hero, but that's but he was, and his name was Josh. His job was difficult because he was in a place where people really didn't want to listen. They didn't really have any interest in whatever God might have to say to them. But because he loved God so much, he threw himself into his work. He, he was busy preaching and teaching and reaching out to anyone and everyone around him that he could. His, his neighbors, his friends, his family, strangers, anyone who would listen. He was busy. There was so much to do, so many people to talk to that there really wasn't much time to do anything else. Certainly no time to think about getting married or raising a family. But one day there was a word from God. God said, Josh, I want you to get married. Josh thought about this for a few minutes and he said, you know, Lord, that's a great idea. And so... He started thinking a little more, but then God interrupted. God had more to say. God said, uh, Josh, I want you to marry a prostitute because your life is going to be a living picture, a living illustration. <laughs> what a shocker. Uh, uh, he, in the same day, he learns he's going to get married, but also to a prostitute. And I'm sure he had lots of questions, concerns, and Probably a few objections, but disobeying God never really crossed the mind of this faithful young preacher. That's what God said. That's what he would do. And so he began to look and check around and, and uh, investigate some prospects. And eventually he found one. And long story short, Josh got married to a lady named Gwen. She was a beautiful, raven-haired young woman who was very glad to get out of the life on the streets. Now, Josh, like most preachers, he was far from rich. What he really had to offer wasn't a lot, but Gwen was absolutely thrilled. I mean, she had somebody who cared for her. She had a home of her own. She had regular meals and some money to buy some things, and she had security. Things that she'd never had before. For the first time in her life, Gwen got a taste of what normal felt like. And it felt good. Josh also was pleased. As passionately as he served God, he now passionately also got busy loving his new wife. 
he, he doted on her. He wrote her poems. He sent her little cards. He wrote songs and sang them. And he, he brought her flowers. He did all those things that young lovers do. Somehow later we forget to do later on. Things were really going very well. And in time, Gwen became pregnant. <laughs> they were excited. And she bore them a son. And wow, such a wonderful time. There was laughter and joy. We kind of know what it is. And in our church, we've had a couple of babies born this week. And there's a few more still on the way. We're, babies are exciting and fun. And they were so, so happy. And now they were more than a couple. They were a family. As often happens as well with babies, life got to be a little more of a challenge. There get to be a few more expenses and there's a lot more work and a lot less sleep. And it began to take its, you know, it got difficult in the relationship, challenging sometimes when they're tired and there's little things and, and it was tough, but they got through. It was hard too because, you see, before she was often with Josh, but now Josh had to be out preaching and yet when he was out, she couldn't go and had to stay home and he was out a lot because there was lots of work to do and she was home a lot alone and taking care of the baby. Over time, things began to get a little more and a little more strained and a little more difficult and there were some signs of trouble, but once again, Gwen became pregnant. Josh was just sure the second child would maybe draw them back together again and they would find that, that love and that joy and that excitement they had early on in their marriage and when their first baby was born. And sure enough, it happened. Things got good again. The beautiful little baby girl was born and Josh was so delighted with this sweet baby, yet deep in his heart, something seemed off. Adapting to the demands, however, of caring now for two children just began to occupy time and energy and there was little time to really think and wonder what's going on and to very little time to work on their relationship. And so now as Josh is torn by still the demands of his work and trying to be a good father and a good husband and Gwen is busy with two children. It seemed that no matter how much work Josh put in at home, how much effort, Gwen just only got a little more distant and a little more distant. There were some times that he would just reach out to touch her and he would feel her just ever so slightly flinch or even move away. He tried to dismiss it, but he knew something, he could sense something was wrong. He didn't really understand her, but because he loved her so, he just kept doing his best. She wouldn't talk. He just kept trying to be supportive and caring. More and more time passed, and one day Gwen became pregnant again. A third child. Nine months later, now another son is born. But as Josh came in and he saw that little baby boy. He knew. 
The first instant he saw him, he knew. Brokenhearted, he had to face the truth. This little boy was not his. Gwen had been unfaithful and had a child by another another man. It can't be. And there was a confrontation and there was a big scene that the truth came out. It was true. Rather than kicking Gwen out, Joshua's determined. I'm not going to file for divorce. We're going to work this out. We're going to fix this. We're going to mend the relationship. Months went by. He tried and but then there were some times he came home and there was a babysitter and she was gone. No, she'd never say where she was. And there were some times he woke up in the middle of the night and she was gone. She wouldn't talk, she wouldn't say where she was, but it became obvious that she was carrying on with another man or other men. She became more bold. It became more frequent. And then Josh started begging, please, please end it. Stay home. Let's fix this. And she just laughed in his face. Sometime later, one day, Josh came home and there was a note. She was gone. She had gone off with another man and she was never coming back. And in an instant, Josh, preacher Josh became a single dad to three children. Between his preaching and now all these extra responsibilities, every moment of every day was filled to, to the brim. He had no time and that was really good because that was really the only consolation to his broken heart was he was just busy all the time. Many more months passed. It was the next spring. He heard a rumor from one of the neighbors that they had seen Gwen across town. She's living with another man over on the other side of town. You know the seedy side of town, the the wrong side of town. Josh couldn't help himself. He decided to go over and see if it was true. And he went over and sure enough, he saw her. You could see her just down the street. There she was. She she looked so thin. She looked so sad. He thought that's it. He he went over to to the house. He thought maybe if I can just talk to her, maybe I can get her to come back home. He knocks on the door, calls out, and she wouldn't come to the door. She wouldn't see him. As he just watched and looked, he began to figure out who the man was that lived there and he went up to him on the street. The guy wasn't sure what to make. He, when he found out, when Josh identified who he was, he thought, I'm about to get punched out. And instead, Josh said, look, he said, I just couldn't help but notice just how thin and, and sad and run down. Glenn, look, I've got here couple of baskets of groceries and some clothes and let me give you a little money would you would you just take care of her the guy was 
taken back. He'd never heard of such a thing, but he gladly took the stuff home and gave it to Gwen. And she looked at it and she was so excited. Clothes, food, money. This is wonderful. Where did it come from? Oh, you're so awesome. And she showered her thanks on him and her love. And she was just so excited. And she never found out where it came from. And he never told her. And The next week, Josh came by and left some more things with the man. Week after week, month after month. He provided every single thing that she ever needed, but she never knew where it came from. One day, Gwen and her man moved off again and Josh lost track of what happened. Time went by, actually years. He had heard various things here and there, rumors and things, but he just stayed busy being a dad and busy preaching the Word of God. One day, God moved in his heart and told him to go take a walk through town, as he often did. As he did, he passed through town and by a place that he always hated to go, a place that made his skin crawl. It was that place where they, where they sell people. The slave market, he hated going by there. And as he saw the folks there, he was again, the anger was stirred up in him and he thought, Lord, I think you want me to preach a sermon here. He got ready. He was thinking, what am I going to say? How am I going to, going to preach just how the, against the inhumanity of this? As he was thinking and watching, something caught his eye as a man led a, someone up to the auction block. Silently he said a little prayer and he was just about to start preaching and he was looking and thought, no, yeah, no, yeah. Almost unrecognizable, but that's Gwen. His heart broke and as he was there, tears started coming down his face. God spoke and said, buy her back, Josh. Quickly he's thinking, what do I, what do I have? What's in the bank? What, what resources do I have? And the bidding had already started and he's figuring it out and he, and he jumps in. Nine shekels of silver. Ten shekels of silver. Eleven shekels of silver. Twelve shekels of silver. It got down to just Josh and another man up front. Finally, Josh said, Fifteen shekels of silver. It was all he had. Everything. And the man called out, Fifteen and a half. Josh's heart sank. <laughs> And it occurred to him, wait, at the house I have some grain. There's a, a homer and a half of barley. That's worth another 15 shekels. And he couldn't help himself. He just called out 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. The auctioneer sold. Josh got, he started moving through the crowd, parting, making his way up. As he did so, gasps began to emerge from the crowd as they realized that that voice from the back that had purchased Gwen, <laughs> he was Josh. 
the preacher. What was he going to do? Why would he buy her? Was it, see, did he buy her so that he could kill her? Get revenge for all the hurt and the heartache? Did he buy her maybe so that he could bring charges against her, have her charged with adultery, and she'd be stoned according to the penalty of the law? What was he going to do? There was murmuring and whispering. Everybody was wondering. Josh made his way to the front. Began to get quiet as he got up on the platform there. And he got so quiet you could hear a pin drop as he took his coat off. And put it over so gently and tenderly over her emaciated and frail naked body to cover her. And then he picked her up began to carry her down. And as they went out, the crowd heard him say, Gwen, I love you so much. Let's go home. I'm sure many of you figured out that the story I told was taken right from the pages of Scripture. From the book of Hosea, I would encourage you just for a moment as we wrap up this morning, if you would turn there, the book of Hosea in chapter 2. This marvelous book, like I think no other book of Scripture, gives us a window to look into and see the very heart of God. As we said in the story, God intended for the real life, love and heartbreak and restoration of this couple whose name really is Hosea and his wife's name Gomer, which I'm sure in that day and time must have been a pretty name. (laughs) But he intended for it to be a picture of God's relationship with Israel. And it is, and it's also in a very real way, a picture of God's relationship with us. There's tons of lessons we could spend months here, but we just have a few minutes, so I'm going to have to dispense with all so many wonderful things I'd like to share and just bring it down to one thing this morning. Just one point of application that I think in a very real way encapsulates the whole message of this book. You'll find it in chapter 2 and verse 16. And I just wonder, when when all of the dust settles, when you take someone like the nation of Israel, or, or Gomer, or us, someone who has rejected God, run away, committed adultery against God, and then God, because of His love for them, or her, or us, rescues them, buys them out of slavery, and then restores them, us, into a relationship with Him. What is it that God wants from us? What is it that God wanted from Israel? What is it He wants from you? 
If all of that is true, and it is, by the way, what does God want from His people? Verse 16 here of chapter 2, and we get the answer. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. You say, well, Pastor, that just clears it all up. What an interesting phrase is there. No longer will you call me my Baal. Now, if you've ever spent much time in Sunday school or children's church and you've heard the stories from the Old Testament or if you've been in Bible studies and you've read the stories from the Old Testament, you will, you will know perhaps what Baal is. Baal was the, the god of the Canaanites. He was the god of fertility and the god of, of agriculture. And worship of Baal, Baal worship, or I grew up in Texas and there it was Baal worship. Okay? But, but it's really Baal, but there we call it Baal worship. And Baal worship was all about the party, it's all about the music and the dancing and the drunkenness and the drugs and the sexual orgies and the, the whole bit. It was the party scene. Baal worship would be very popular in the United States of America, and actually I think it is. We just don't call it that. But it was, it was Baal worship that so often turned the Israelites to idolatry and tempted them and lured them into idolatry and away from God. And so perhaps what God is saying here in this verse is, no more, you, you will call me husband and no more will you call Baal my, your husband. In my place, you see, you'll no longer call me my Baal. In other words, you're just, you're not, you, you will call me husband, not Baal, not Baal. Maybe that's what it's saying, and it, it does indicate that if you go to the next verse, that is exactly what will happen. God says, verse 17, for I will remove the name of the Baals from her mouth, and they will be remembered by name no more. Baal is both singular and plural sometimes. There's the Baals, and sometimes it's Baal or Baal. But I'll, remember, I'll remove those names. No more are my people going to worship and, and follow after Baal. And that does happen with Israel. Eventually, when they hit the bottom, they finally say, that's it, I'm done. Like Gwen in the story, she hits the bottom and she is finally done with that life. And is that what God wants for His people? And is that what God wants for you and me? Yes, it's what's going to happen. But I don't think that's all. There, there's more. See, that word Baal in your Bible, it's not an English word. It's the Hebrew just transliterated from Hebrew right across over into English. And it often means that Canaanite god, Baal or Baal, but that word shows up a lot of other times in the Bible because it's a general word that means several things, and it's sometimes translated and shows up in your Bible as this. It will, it will read, my master or my Lord. And so if you put that word there, it reads like this. You will call me my husband, no longer will you call me my master. The significance of that we find just down a few more verses when God 
says this, verse 19, read, it says, And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. What God is saying to that wayward bride that is, is sitting there on the auction block, all wasted, who has given herself to every vile thing and is so wasted, and God says, Like Hosea, come on, I'll take you home. And God says these words three times. He said it in those verses. He said, I will betroth you to me. In English, that means absolutely nothing to us. What he's saying is, I'll renew our marriage vows. Everything that has happened between when we first got married and now, I'm willing to go back and renew our vows. Is that amazing? Would you? That's pretty amazing. But what if God is just moved by pity? Looking there at that emaciated mess that we have become because of our rejection of Him and our turning to sin. Is God just feeling sorry and says, look, come home. I'll let you come home. I'll renew my vows. I'll be faithful to you. But, you know, the relationship is damaged beyond repair. You're going to have a room out back. You'll be taken care of the rest of your life. You'll live here. But it'll never be the same. And we might wonder, would that be the case? Is it the case with you? Is it the case with me? I'm so far gone. I've done so much. God in His grace is going to rescue me out of the stuff I deserve. We deserve every bit of the stuff we're out, every bit of the mess, every bit of the, every bit that, that Gwen was going to suffer, she deserved and she deserved more. Every bit of what we get into because of our sin and our mess, we deserve it and more. Isn't it enough that God rescues us out of that stuff? Could He really? Put the relationship back together. That's where that last phrase in verse 20 is so important. It says, and you shall know the Lord. Have you ever heard anybody say in a conversation or maybe on TV or something, you hear somebody talk about, yeah, they, they know them in the biblical sense. <laughs> and, and meaning that, uh, well, like, in Genesis where it says Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to a son. In other words, it's a euphemism for sexual relations. The reason they say that is because the Bible uses that word that way sometimes. And what you have here is God not just saying, come here, I'll renew the vows again and and you can come live in the house. What He's saying is He's inviting this wayward, broken bride into a restoration of the intimacy of the relationship. And now you see, that's why that verse back in 16 means something when it says, you will call me husband, no longer will you call me master. Because it answers the question, what is it that God wants from Israel And what is it that God wants from you? Hosea didn't want 
his wife Gomer or Gwen, whatever you want to call her, he didn't want her to come back home to be the servant. He didn't want her to come back home and go, well, I guess I've got to go back and live in the house. And God is saying, what I want from you this morning is your heart. I want you to love me like I love you. God isn't saying, I want you to come back to be you know, where you have to obey me. I want you to come back because you want to relate with me. That's what God wants. To love Him as a husband rather than to follow Him out of duty. Say, that sounds really weird. Is that really what the Bible says? Well, think about it. It's actually all the way through Scripture. God doesn't desire that we go through the rituals and we do the duties. He has always wanted our heart, our love. Remember in Mark chapter 12, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are trying to trip him up. And one of them asks, Hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? If we wanted to reword it and ask the same thing, what is it that God really wants most out of us? Jesus' answer was not, You shall obey the Lord your God. Wasn't it, was it? What did he say? You shall love. The Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He took that from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament right there in the giving of the law. What is it God wants? He wants our heart. And we understand how much He loves us. Why wouldn't we love Him? And if you're here this morning and you have... And so, believer, that's what God wants out of you. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What God wants more than anything else is for you to understand this morning, He loves you that much. Like Josh was there buying Gwen back off the slave block. The Bible says that's what God did for us. The slave block was sin and it's, and it's slavery and ultimately it's punishment of hell. And God bought us off out of that, not with silver and barley, but with, the Bible says, with the blood of Jesus. You know the verse. You've heard it before. Probably John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's why Jesus came. How are you going to respond today to God's love? Are you going to run from it? Or are you going to go do some duties? Or are you going to say this morning, God, thank you. I love you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. What a powerful, powerful message. Thank you for putting it not just into words, but you put it into life. Something that as we read it, we see it, we feel it. We see it and feel it lived out in the life of Hosea and Gomer. And and we realize that is us, Lord. There's not a one of us here who haven't gone and 
committed adultery and played the prostitute. We've loved other things other than You. We've run from You. And yet You love us. Lord God, how can we respond any different than what You have called us to? The very fact that You still want to relate with us, have a relationship. I can't believe that. So Lord, may not a one of us leave this morning running or just going through the motions. But even right now, may we give You our heart. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.